Good morning. Welcome to the crossings. Uh, one little item of business. I don't know how well you can see this, but that is a man with a full beard who has dipped it into water and he is throwing it back because it's so good to be a man. This is our men's ministry shirt. If you'd like one, they're $10. Um, we thought that was so stupid. We're like, People are going to look at that and ask us what that's all about. It's just like a total intro for us to invite them to church. So <laughs> welcome to the crossings. Uh, that defines our identity right there and what we're all about. Now, seriously, we're in a, we're in a sermon series here called Equipped. Uh, you can see the graphic behind me. We believe firmly uh, that every single one of us has a purpose in life. Uh, we believe that God has created us in his image. He created us uh, with a purpose. Uh, we have unique gifts and talents that we can apply to the kingdom. Um, and so in this sermon series, we're talking about just kind of the nuts and bolts, how we're uh, structured here at the crossing, some of the philosophy behind it, some of the reasons behind why we do what we do, why we emphasize the things that we emphasize, why we would do something stupid like print a shirt like that. It's because it gives us an opportunity to rub elbows with people. Uh, since every person has a purpose, God wants to use me for something. And God wants to use me to make the world a better place. Now, the way he uses me might look a little bit different than the way he uses you, but God wants to connect with every single person. He wants to help every single person be the person he always meant for them to be. Uh, and the way he does that, the way he works in our life to develop us is through this thing called the church that he set up. It's his idea. Um, this Sunday morning, we're going to talk about why small groups are such a big deal here at the Crossings. And in this series, we're kind of building these topics uh, upon one another. Um, we want every single person in the church to be part of a small group at, at the Crossings. In fact, we are so big on small groups here uh, that we require it for membership. Uh, if you're not a member of a small group or if you're unwilling to be a member of a small group, we pretty much just tell folks, hey, uh, you know, we would love for you to be part of our church, but if this isn't something you're interested in, this probably isn't going to be a good fit for you. Because everything about how we're structured is really designed to help people develop that are plugged in there. So if you're not willing to plug in, we're not going to be able to take care of you. Um, and so it's super, super duper important. Uh, we call our small groups here cell groups. You guys have heard me refer to that a lot. The cell is the basic building block of the body. If a body is healthy and growing, then that cell is going to multiply. It's the same with our spiritual community. If our spiritual body is healthy and growing, our cells are going to multiply. Those small groups are going to multiply because we're going to reach more people, because we're going to develop more leaders. If we're functioning the way that we're supposed to function, there's going to be people getting closer to Jesus that are involved in these groups and that are a part of it. Um, real quick, guys, you've got some notes in your bulletin if you want to pull those out. I want to quickly kind of recap what we talked about last week before we get into what we're going to talk about this week. And this week, we're going to actually look at uh, a small group meeting that Jesus had in John 13. And we're going to kind of pick out some of the elements that we see there. Uh, and I'm going to help you think about some things maybe you haven't thought about uh, that deeply before. Um, so it's going to be good. But let me pray for us, and then we'll jump into the lesson this morning. 
Father, as we uh, get ready to open your word, I pray that you prepare our hearts to receive your truth. Uh, God, I pray that we'll look at this uh, not just as an academic study, but God, that we will look and find ourselves in this lesson, that we will find uh, areas of our life where we need to make changes or adjustments, that we will know your word, but we will apply your word, because we know the blessing is found in application. Transformation is found in application. And so I pray we will listen to this to apply, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, so we make a big deal out of small groups at the crossings for a number of reasons that I've touched on uh, previously. Uh, on your notes, first of all, we make a big deal out of small groups at the crossings. Number one, because they played a big role in the ministry of Jesus. We looked at this last week, Mark 3, 13 through 15. Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted. He appointed 12, designating them apostles, that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach. We talked last week about how whenever Jesus wanted to turn the world upside down, when he really wanted to make an impact, the first thing he did is call together a small group of young men that he was going to pour into and develop. Uh, most of these young men would have been probably teenagers. Uh, there, there are some that would have been a little bit older. Maybe Peter is thought of. He may have been the oldest. He was a business owner. Uh, you know, we don't know exactly how old these guys were, but we know Peter was probably preeminent because of the way he's treated. Um, Matthew may have been in his early 20s. He was a tax collector. But for the most part, scholars believe these boys were teenagers or late teenagers. And so what Jesus does, though, is he calls together a group of young men that are going to be with him. You notice it says that they're going to be with him, and then after they're with him, he's eventually going to send them out. And what we know is they were with him for a period of three years. Jesus helped them develop over that period of time, and eventually he sends them out. There's a rhythm of being with and then sending that we see in the New Testament as it relates to church planting, as it relates to church leadership being with and sending out. There's a rhythm. Secondly, we make a big deal out of small groups at the crossings because, number two, they played a big role in the ministry of the Acts Church. In Acts 2, if you know your Bible history, you know that's where the church started. Uh, Peter gets up and proclaims the first gospel sermon. 3,000 people are added to the church. They're baptized that day in Acts 2.38. What are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, wash your sins away. Um, sorry, that's Acts 22.16. Um, but anyway... Uh, they're baptized, they're plugged in, there's 3,000 of them, and then uh, it says in 2.42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes, and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts. So that's verse 42 and 46 there. Guys, the first thing they do is uh, they get into small groups, just naturally. Now, they, it says they met in the temple court, so they had the big meeting. Okay, that's like this. That's like the assembly, right? Temple courts, big space where a lot of people can meet all at once. But then in addition to the temple courts, the big space, the big meeting, like this, they had all these meetings in homes. It says every day that they were getting together in the temple courts. They, every day they were breaking bread in their homes. That just means they were sharing a meal together. It could also mean that they were taking communion together uh, as part of these meals. Um, this isn't on your notes, but in Acts 5.42, I'll have it on the screen up here. It says, uh, day after day in the temple courts. Do we have that on the screen, guys? You don't have that? Okay, I sent you notes with all that stuff on there. 
Uh, day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. You might just make a note of that. Um, number three, we make a big deal out of small groups at the crossings because number three, they played a big role in the ministry of the Apostle Paul. Um, it says in 2 Timothy 2.2, you should teach, entrust, or pass on to people whom you can trust who are faithful, reliable, the things you've heard me say in the presence of or confirmed by many witnesses, then they will be able to teach others. This is in the ministry of Paul. He's, he's telling Timothy, your job is to go and find other men who you're going to be able to teach to be teachers. You're going to be able to develop these leaders to be, to be leaders. Um, that was the job. It's the being with and then sending out. Fourthly, we make a big deal out of small groups at the crossings because number four, they provide your best opportunity to be equipped. Okay? They provide your best opportunity to be equipped. And I'm going to tell you what I mean in the remainder of this lesson. Okay? In order to do that, I want to look at some of the dynamics that were present in Jesus' small group. Uh, I want to look at John 13, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to read most of John 13 uh, so we can kind of get it in our minds, and then we're going to talk about it. Uh, John 13 is, uh, at that point in the story, uh, the moment before Jesus is about to be arrested and, and taken in in the book of John. There's a long uh, meeting that he has with his, uh, his closest friends before that happens. Now, imagine you're Jesus, and, and you've been walking for three years, doing your ministry, you know because of your knowledge of God, your knowledge of the scriptures, and you, you know what's going to happen. You know that you're about to get arrested, you're about to get tried, you're going to be crucified. You know all this stuff ahead of time. And you're with this group that you've been running around the countryside with. Now, if you knew you were about to go die publicly on a cross, like in my mind, it's like, okay, I need to have like this big spectacular Come, come to God revival. Like we need to get everybody together so that everybody can see me and let's, let's make a big deal. Let's have a big, big, big meeting where I can get up and speak to as many people as I can. You know, before I die, like that's where my mind goes. Well, for Jesus, Jesus is about to go be nailed on a cross and guess what Jesus does? He doesn't go and have a big meeting. He goes and has a small meeting. He doesn't call thousands of people to come to listen to him. He calls 12, the same guys that he called at the beginning. And he has a small group meeting that's going to be very important. He knows that this is going to be transformative. It's in this small group meeting where he's actually going to command the Lord's Supper be taken. So the reason we have this tradition of communion, it started with this small group meeting that Jesus had before he was arrested. I'm going to start reading. Um, do we have this on the screen? Did you guys get this in the notes? Is this on the screen? John 13, I'm asking. There was a whole bunch. It's not, okay. Uh, I would recommend you pull your Bibles out I, uh, because this is going to be a chunk of reading that's not on your notes, okay? And so look at John 13. Go ahead and open that up and look at it. And uh, I'm going to start reading in verse 1, okay? So John 13, verse 1. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world. He loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. 
Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. Okay, Jesus knew he was going to die. He knew he was going to die. It says in verse 1, the first thing he did is call his, group, his small group together. So he knows he's going to die. He has a small group meeting, not a large group meeting, okay? He gets together with his closest friends. And he takes this opportunity to teach his disciples a very important lesson that we're going to see. Um, in verse 4, so Jesus got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Which, by the way, if you know anything about Peter, usually when he opened his mouth, it was to stick his foot in it, right? Uh, he, he is constantly saying dumb stuff. And I look at it, and I'm like, dude, if I was a part of this group, I would be Peter. Like, I just identify with this guy. I'm constantly saying stuff that gets me in trouble. I'm your preacher. Um, he came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus replied, you don't understand now what I'm doing, but later you'll understand. No, said Peter, you're never going to wash my feet. Which, by the way, washing feet was something the servants did. For these guys, uh, these young men, to have their rabbi stooping down, this would have been embarrassing for them. This would have been uncomfortable for them because he's lowering himself to the status of a servant. They served him, you know, like as his students, as his rabbis, that was kind of part of the gig is you would, you would take care of the needs of your rabbi. Now he's serving them and they're like, I don't like this. So Peter's saying, no. You shall never wash my feet, in verse 8. 9, then Lord, or excuse me, uh, no, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part of me. In verse 9, then the Lord, Simon replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only wash their feet. Their whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you, for he knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. So he's saying here to his small group, he wanted, he, the, the goal here, he wanted to show them how much he loved them. That's the, that's the punchline. That's what we get from verse 1. He wanted to show them how much he loved them. The way he did that was to get them in a small group. That was how he could do it. And then he goes and he lowers himself and he serves them in this small group, like a servant, to the point that it made them feel weird. They didn't like it. Peter was bold enough to speak up, which Peter is bold. The things he doesn't always say, or the things he says are not always wise, but he is bold. And so he says what's on his mind. He said, Jesus, I don't like this. I should be watching. And Jesus is saying, that's okay. 
I want you to do this for one another too. I debased myself. I, I lowered myself to make myself a servant. I want you guys to have that kind of attitude where you think others are more important than you are. Like, that's the point. He teaches them in this small group. It also says that somebody among them is going to betray him. Okay? Who was present here in this small group? Judas. Judas was present in this small group. Now, we know the way the story is going to go. Judas is going to betray Jesus. Judas was there the whole time. He heard every lesson the whole time. Judas was living a double life the whole time and hiding it because Judas was in charge of the money for the group. It says later in John he was stealing the whole time. And uh, there are some other hints that there was sin that was present the whole time in Judas's life that he just hid. He never was honest about his motives. Look, you can be close to Jesus in proximity. You can be close to a really, really good small group. Guys, you're not going to get a better small group leader than Jesus Christ. Amen? But you can not be real and hide the whole time you're in that small group. You can. Judas is a prime example. He's there. He's a betrayer. Verse 21, after he said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified, very truly, I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. Now, that's a bomb to drop in your group. One of you is going to betray me, right? His disciples stared at one another at a loss to know which of them he meant. One of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, that's the apostle John, that is Jesus' best friend. The disciple whom Jesus loved was reclining next to him. Simon Peter motioned to this disciple and asked him which one he means. Leaning back against Jesus, John asked him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, it's the one to whom I will give this piece of bread when I've dipped it in the dish. Then dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. He probably said that where only John could hear it. So Judas didn't know Jesus was busting him out when he handed him that piece of bread. Otherwise, Judas wouldn't have taken the piece of bread. I don't want that bread, right? Uh, he takes the piece of bread. As soon as Judas took the piece of bread, Satan entered into him. So Jesus told him. What you're about to do, do quickly. Guys, Satan only enters into us when we leave the door wide open for him. And Judas had. Judas had not been himself. He had not been real. He had been hiding sin. He had heard every single thing that Jesus said. He was in a very healthy small group. He did not take advantage of it. So Jesus told him, what you're going to do, do quickly. But no one at the meal understood why Jesus had said this to him. Since Judas had charge of the money, some thought Jesus was telling him to buy what was needed for the festival or to give something to the poor. As soon as Judas had taken the bread, he went out, and it was night. When he was gone, Jesus said, now the Son of Man is glorified. This is verse 31, by the way. When he was gone, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in himself and will glorify him at once. My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me. And just as I told the Jews, so I will tell you now, where I'm going, you cannot come. A new command I give you. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. He spoke this to the twelfth. 
This command to love one another is you love that guy and that guy and that guy and you love that guy and that guy. This is specific. This is disciples love disciples. Christians love Christians. I've already told you to love God and to love your neighbor as yourself, but now I'm going to give you a very specific new command. Love other disciples. And if you guys love each other the way that I'm telling you to, the world's going to know that you're my disciples. They're going to see something different in the dynamic that's present among you and your relationships. That's the command here, right? A new command. Don't get this twisted. This is not a command to love everybody. People that don't study this deeply uh, will misunderstand this pretty easily. You need to look at the context here. This is a specific command. Disciples love disciples. And the world is going to know there's something different when they see the dynamics that are present among you. Love one another. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. Verse 36, Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, where I'm going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. What's he talking about? Death, right? Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I'll lay down my life for you. Then Jesus said, will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you'll disown me three times. Now, we know what happened with Peter, right? That happens. Um, But this is a powerful small group experience for his disciples. Guys, it is so striking. When Jesus is going to go be laid out on the cross, his first thing that he does when he knows this is coming is he calls a small group meeting. And so what I want to look at are some dynamics that are present because of the nature of this kind of meeting that are present that... uh, are very important for us to understand. They're also present for us in our small group meetings in a healthy group, okay? So your small group provides you with the best opportunity to, number one, experience love and learn to express love. Your small group provides you with the best opportunity to, number one, to experience love and learn to express love. John 13, 1, it was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world. It was time for him to go to the Father. Jesus loved his disciples who were in the world, so, now, so he now showed them how much he really loved them. Underline that. He now showed them how much he really loved them. He showed them how much he really loved them. How does he do that? Well, he gets them together and he washes their feet right? Uh, He knew that the disciples needed to understand how much he loved them. He knew that. The way he chose to communicate that was not in a big church meeting. It was around a table. It was not with hundreds of people. It was with 12. You know, this, this was specific to this little group of men. He wanted to Give them the basis that they could build the rest of their spiritual life on. His love. He wanted his love to be the foundation for everything else that was going to happen for them spiritually in their lives. He wanted them never to doubt his love. The way he got them to get his love was in a small group. Do you guys see that? The most natural way to experience love 
is not in a crowd. Now just think about this. It's not in a crowd. It's with individuals. MIT did some research um, not too long ago, and then this was verified by some other studies that were done. The numbers were MIT, according to uh, the Massachusetts Institute of Technology and their study, you can only have about five really, really close relationships. Your brain biologically cannot handle more than that. The stuff that's needed for you can have five. Now, on the outside of that layer of five, you can have another 10 that are pretty close, like close friends. So you have five people that are going to be like family to you. Then you have maybe 10 that are pretty close friends. And then after that, there's a group of about 30 that you have relationships with that are they're friends. They're not as intimate as maybe the 10 or the five, but they're, they're pretty close, you know, pretty good friends. Like you can say there's 30. And then after that, there's a group about 100. And then after that, you can't handle anymore. Okay. So you in your life, you have five people that you're going to be closest to. Out of that, the 10. Now, another thing we've, we've learned from sociology uh, is that you will become like the people you spend the most time with. That's called socialization. You will adopt the values of the people you spend the most time with. If you spend time with five atheists, you're going to be a different person than if you spent five, time with five people that love Jesus. If those are your most intimate relationships. The people you choose to be closest with are going to be the kind of people you become, right? If you hang out with drug addicts 24-7 who are smoking weed and blowing it in your face at your house playing PlayStation, what are you going to become like? You're going to sit around, blow smoke, and play PlayStation, right? Uh, if you're with a bunch of dudes that are really into cars and that's all they talk about, it don't matter if you're not into cars at all. If you spend all of your time with those dudes, eventually you're going to adopt the language. You're going to learn what they're talking about. You're going to start to talk like they do over time. Okay? I don't care who you are. That's the way it works. Scientifically, it's proven. Sociologically, it's proven. I can show you studies. You want to know what, where, where that came from before it was proven in sociolo socio sociology? From the Bible. Because in the book of Proverbs, it says, walk with the wise and become wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm. And it says a bunch of other stuff like that. You're going to become like the people you spend the most time with. And in your small group, guys, the people you feel most connected to, most loved by, you're going to gravitate toward. A small group is a great opportunity to surround yourself with people that are going to love you, and, and you're going to be socialized, but it's going to be a healthy kind of socialization because the values that you're getting are not going to kill you. But guys, if you go and adopt the values of a group of people that are anti-God or anti-Jesus or the opposite of what Jesus, that's going to kill you. Okay? You don't want that. Secondly, your small group provides you with the best opportunity to be served and learn to serve, to be served, and to learn to serve. Uh, it says in verse 4, Jesus got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin. He began washing his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Right? There's proximity here. How was Jesus able to wash their feet? Well, they were close enough for him to touch them. Okay, That seems like a simple, uh, maybe something a little too simple to point out. Proximity is important. 
If you're talking about spiritual development and spiritual leadership in your life, proximity is important. You don't want to just rely on a podcast. You don't want to just rely on a website. You don't want to just rely on some nameless face on YouTube. You need somebody that knows you, that can prescribe help for you, that is specific to your situation. And you can get that in a small group because you have a leader where the proximity is close enough that they can touch you. But guys, one of the things that uh, we look for and, and teach in leadership is how to evaluate spiritually. A good leader is going to be able to spend some time with somebody and very quickly assess where that person is spiritually. You guys don't even know that it's happening when our leaders are doing that. But we're listening to what you're saying. We're hearing what you're saying about what's going on in your life. Uh, we're, we're picking up different things just through experience because we've done this for a while. Uh, where we're able to evaluate where a person is. And then from that evaluation, we can help them grow and develop. Uh, and, you know, there's a plan and, and procedure for that. Um, but that proximity is very important. It's kind of like if I were a doctor and you guys were all coming here for a doctor's appointment. And so you leave the waiting room of the lobby and we say, okay, come on in. It's time for your doctor's appointment. And we bring all of you guys in here at one time. Okay. And I get up here on stage, and I look around, and I say, okay, I know, you need penicillin. Penicillin, let me write a prescription. And I just write a prescription for penicillin, and we give all of you a shot of penicillin. And that's your doctor's visit. Now, what's going to happen is, if there's anybody in here that has an infection, it's going to help. How many of you in here have an infection? Don't raise your hand, right? <laughs> there's not going to be many of you. There might be one or two. Okay, but I just gave the whole crowd penicillin. What's it going to do for most of you? Nothing. It's not going to do anything. But then a couple of you in here are allergic to penicillin. What's it going to do to you? You're going to die. A penicillin allergy is nothing to play around with. It will kill you if you're allergic to it. So, but I just gave you a prescription to the group. It helped a couple, right? But most of you, it was just kind of a waste of time. And then two of you, well, it actually killed you. It hurt you, right? What if you, did what if you did church like that? And that's all you do, you know? Maybe you're going to come some week, and if the doctor up front is given the prescription to everybody, maybe it's going to apply to your situation. Because we're just kind of, you know, we're kind of broad up here. Maybe it's going to help you a little bit. But how different is that experience from going to a doctor who gives you individual tests, who can evaluate your individual case, and then give you a prescription based on your individual needs? Would that not work a little bit better? Duh. Right? But then when you apply that to your spiritual lives, some of them make it really complicated to be honest with you. Some people, look, some people buck at the idea of small groups or that they need somebody in their life to help them in that way. Uh, the people that do that, 100% of them are spiritually immature. I do not know a single person in my life that I look at and say, man, that is a spiritual giant right there who is not connected to other people that are up in their lives that are also moving that way. I don't know a single person. I know a lot of people who desperately want a relationship with God, but they don't make the connection to people, God's people. 
Like they don't ever just look at what the scriptures say about loving one another and forgiving one another. Understanding one another means other people, right? They don't get the connection. Guys, the truth is God works through the church. He works through people. All of this stuff we're talking about, guys, we didn't come up with this. God did. All of the philosophy and things we're talking about that are driving the way we try to do things here at the crossings, guys, we're a flawed group of people. We're an imperfect church, but we're trying. And we understand that relationships are huge in terms of spiritual development. They're huge. You got to have them. And, and on that note, guys, you got to have trust. If you're going to have somebody that's really going to help you, you need trust with a spiritual leader. Uh, when you get in there and start dealing with life's issues, if, if trust isn't present, you're not going to talk about what's really going on in your life. You're going to come in and, and you know, you're, there's going to be a distance that's there. You have to trust the people that are working with you in order to listen to them. Um, for instance, I'm struggling with a serious pornography addiction. Okay? Who am I going to talk to about that? That's embarrassing if I'm struggling with that. And I've been there, by the way. Who am I going to talk to about that? You want to know how I got help with that? It was through my small group. It was, I was able to talk with the people that were in my group and say, hey, I'm really struggling with this. And then I found out some of the you know, others were too. I wasn't alone. And we were able to talk about it and give accountability. Or uh, we, we paid for an abortion thinking that life would be easier. And now I'm dealing with all this guilt. Like, who am I going to talk with about that? Is that something I want to get up and, and announce publicly? No, I'm going to talk with people I trust, right? Or, and I could go down the list, guys. When you start dealing with stuff that's really bothering you in your life, you need to have some trust with the people that are around you if you're even going to broach the subject right? How do you grow and build trust with people? Let me tell you, it's not from coming and sitting in a crowd. It's, it's spending time with people. It's, it's around a table. Uh, one of the things we really try to do here at the Crossings is, is spend a lot of time around the table. And guys, that's not just because we like to eat. We do. Um, but it's because that's how we build relationships. And, and the more we can trust each other and we can have these kinds of familial kind of relationships, the more we can deal with the real issues that are going on. But if we get together and we're just a big group and how you doing, I'm fine, well, you're always going to be fine if there's no trust, even though you're not fine, right? You got to have trust. Jesus had built trust with these guys because they had spent time with him in a smaller setting. If you don't spend time in that smaller setting, you're not going to develop relationships. I don't care if it's a small group meeting on Sundays or if it's, guys, it, just get out and, and be together and, and see that for what it is. It's important. Um, one other thing, guys. Who was here in this small group? Judas. No one can make you share and be vulnerable. That's a choice, right? Uh, Judas had issues. If he had shared what was going on, he would have gotten help. 
But he hid the whole time. He lived a double life the whole time. He never shared what was going on with him. He never got help. And we know the way the story ended. No one can make you share and be vulnerable. If you want to sit there and just be closed off, you will be, you'll be able to do that. But it's not recommended. Okay, thirdly, your small group provides you with the best opportunity, number three, to be challenged and to make changes. To be challenged and to make changes. It says in verse 6, Jesus came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet, Jesus answered. Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. So Peter's desire, I think, is, is to be close to God and to make a difference in the world. I really think that's his desire. But when Jesus comes to you and tells you something and your first word is no, eh, who's still in charge? Your first word is, no, I know better than you. Who's still in charge? Jesus, let me help you tweak your plans. Let me tell you what you should really be thinking. Let me tell you how this should really get. No, Peter's still Lord at this point. Jesus is able to nudge him, but it shows that he's still Lord. In a big group, there's not room for discussion. Um, I remember uh, there's a story, the first time Janice Wade if any of you guys know Janice, she now runs our Manasseh Ministries uh, for the crossings uh, over in Wentzville. She's a, a licensed therapist now. But her first time in an assembly, Robert got up and was preaching, Robert Cox. And uh, he said, I don't know what he was talking about. I don't know if he was talking about his abuse or what, but he made some comment where it was God can work in the midst of this really bad stuff. And Janice says on the back row, BS, only it was not uh, the initials. She actually said it loud enough where Robert could hear it from the pulpit. And so uh, was anybody there that day she did that? Anybody here? Sue, were you there that day? Okay. Um, we don't recommend that, by the way. Uh, this is not the, the time for that kind of discussion. Uh, by the way, that turned out really good, though, because Janice became a Christian. Now she's helping all kinds of people. Uh, so she, she went back on those words. But this is not dialogue. This is monologue on, on Sundays. Now, I love the amens, by the way, uh, when they're appropriate. You amen the good stuff. Don't amen the bad stuff. We've had that happen before. Somebody gets in a rhythm and they just say, hey, no, no, don't amen that. Um, this isn't great for dialogue. You know, this is, this is great for an introvert who just wants to get up and get everything off their chest once a week. Like, I, great, thank you for my therapy session. Uh, but it's not, it's not good for dialogue. Yeah, yeah amen. Um, not good for dialogue, right? Dialogue is needed, though, for you to grow and develop. You have to have dialogue if you're going to grow and develop. You have to have people in your life that you can have those, you can get that instant feedback. Here, Peter is able to get instant feedback from Jesus. No, Lord, no, nah, no. Nah. Jesus gives him instant feedback, instant correction, right? That's going to stick with Peter. But that, that happens because they're of the dynamics of this group they're in, okay? You get it? Fourth. Your small group provides you with the best opportunity, number four, to share burdens and receive support. To share burdens 
and receive support. In John 13, 21, after he had said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified, I tell you the truth, one of you is going to betray me. He's troubled. He knows what's about to happen. He knows Judas is going to turn on him. He knows he's going to get taken and arrested. Um, When Jesus feels troubled in spirit, who does Jesus turn to? He turns to his small group. Um, The scripture reference here is incorrect. It should be Mark 14, not John 14. Uh, Mark 14, 32, he took Peter, James, and John with him. He became deeply troubled and distressed. He told them, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. This is right around the same time um, Judas has taken off in Mark's account. He's going to the Garden of Gethsemane. He's deeply, deeply troubled because he knows he's about to go die on a cross. Um, This is Jesus. Jesus asks for support. Who does he get support from? He gets him from the guys he was closest with in his small group, Peter, James, and John. Those are his closest friends right there. And uh, this is Jesus asking for support. Have any of you guys in here ever thought, I will eventually get to the point where I am so mature I don't need anybody else's help? Have you ever thought that? I have. I'll just tell you. I thought, I'm eventually going to get where I don't need this. But then... Here Jesus is, right before he's going to go die on a cross, you can't say he could get much more spiritually mature, right? But he's asking for help. Jesus Christ is asking for support. Don't you leaders ever think you're going to get to the point where you don't need this, okay? Don't ever think that. You will always need this. And here Jesus is getting it from him. This is also not you know, just for the leaders, for everybody that's a part of this. It says in uh, this basic function of the church, Galatians 6, 2, share each other's troubles and problems in this way, obey the law of Christ. This is a basic function of the church. Uh, If you look, we are called to, part of loving one another, support one another, help each other deal with problems, help each other deal with burdens, right? We do that in the context of the church. You do that in the context of your small group, more naturally than anything. If you've got a really big problem, You're going to turn to those people that you have the relationship with, right? It's your small group. That's going to become like your family. We're encouraged to share. In uh, James 5.16, make it your habit to confess your sins to one another and to pray for one another. It's to confess to one another. Okay, This isn't just confession to God. You should confess your sins to God. You should talk to God about what you're struggling with. He likes it when we talk to him. He doesn't need to know. But we need to say it to him because it does something in us to acknowledge it verbally. We need to talk with him, but we also need to talk with other people. And there are some sins that you can struggle with that you will not get over until you talk to somebody else that loves Jesus that can help you. And I know in my own life, there are sins that I have struggled with that until I confess them, I could not repent of them. Even though I tried, I kept going back and kept going back and kept falling. I couldn't get over them until I confessed and and got other people involved. I think there are some things in our lives that operate that way. You know, I think about drugs and addictions and things like that. You almost always have to have accountability to overcome some of that stuff. Your small group is a really natural place to get that very easily. If you'll speak up and talk, you can get that support. Number five. Your small group provides you with the best opportunity to, number five, ask questions and get answers. Ask questions 
and get answers. Uh, it says in John 13, leaning back against Jesus, John asked him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, it's the one to whom I'll give this piece of bread. When I've dipped it in the dish, then dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas, Judas Iscariot, son of Simon. Uh, simple thing, guys, but John is able to lean back and ask Jesus a question. Okay? He's able to naturally do that because of proximity. This was in a small group setting. He could not lean back and ask Jesus a question in a humongous crowd like that, where Jesus is up teaching, like, you know, in a big way. This was part of the dynamic, is it, that dialogue is there. He's able to ask and get instant feedback. That is so important to his development. And this is just one situation. Guys, this, this kind of thing would have happened a lot, where they're getting clarity. Often, Jesus, when he would publicly teach, he would share these parables that he didn't get. Like, the, the disciples did not get it. But then later, when they were in their small group, they would be able to come back and get clarity on the stuff Jesus was teaching because they were able to have this dialogue and ask these questions, right? So this provides them, like, you know, they go from the 101 public assembly to, like, the 201 and 301 small group, right? They're able to develop. They're able to get clarity on some things. Um, Mark's account of this, same from Mark 14, they were sad. This is after Jesus said somebody's going to betray him. They were sad, and they said to him, one by one, is it me? Right? They're able to have that dialogue with him. Uh, number six, your small group provides you with the best opportunity, number six, to find clarification and experience transformation. Your small group provides you with the best opportunity to find clarification and experience transformation. In John 13, do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your teacher, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I've set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Okay? Where did they learn to know these things? Well, it was in that small group. How would they find blessing? It's by knowing and doing, right? It's not simply to know. Here's the thing with your small group. Your small group helps you to do. That's what your small group will help you with. It's not just knowing the right answers or the Bible class stuff. It's actually putting it into practice. Your small group is designed to provide an environment where that will very naturally occur. Um, your small group helps you know and do. Uh, we're going to go ahead and wrap up this morning. Um, we talked about small groups this this whole day if you've been coming to the church for a little bit and you're interested in how you can take a next step uh, in your relationship with God I want to invite you to pull out a cardstock piece of paper that's in your bulletin um, we'll give you some instructions on how we can help you do that uh, we've got a lot of things we offer here at the church uh, by way of support and help for various life issues. You can kind of look over and see there. We've got uh, resources for people that are dealing with divorce, uh, situations of abuse, addiction, 
all kinds of stuff. We can, we can help with that. We've got some resources, and we'll help you connect to a person who has dealt with that uh, and found victory in Jesus. But the best thing we have going here at the crossings is our small group ministry. Uh, there's a reason we require participation in a small group for, men, uh, for membership in our church. Like, that's how high we are on our small group ministry. If you're curious how you can plug in, indicate that on your card, and we'll get somebody to follow up with you. And I'll just tell you the way we, kind of our process, is every single person that comes and and wants to join the Crossings Church, we study the Bible with every single person that comes here. And the reason we do that is the most important question in your life is how is your relationship with God? That's where we want to start. If you get that relationship with God right, a lot of this other stuff's going to fall into place. Everything else is going to fall into place. But that's where we start. So we study the Bible with every single person that comes here. Uh, People come from a variety of different backgrounds. What I have found is a lot of people uh, that I encounter have had some kind of religious experience where they've gone to a church or some revival meeting or something where they've they've had some kind of uh, religious experience where They've gone through life thinking that they're Christians, but then when they get into looking at the Bible and what it actually says, they're like, I didn't know that was in there. Uh, and so we want to help you see that if that's where you are. That doesn't always happen, but it happens frequently. And I've been doing this a while. Uh, it's very, very important that you get into God's word and see what God's word says about your situation. Um, and so we want to help you do that. We also want to help you get into uh, a situation where you can have relationships like what we talked about in our lesson this morning, and that's through our small group ministry. Um, So if you're interested in learning more about that, like I said, indicate it on your card. If you have questions about God, if you you don't care about small groups, you just want to know about God and you have some questions, that's okay too. Uh, We love it when people come here that are investigating faith. Uh, There is is not a stupid question, and uh, questions are okay. Doubts are okay. Uh, If you are struggling with doubt or if you're struggling with questions about whether you can trust the Bible or if any of this, like, what what do you base this on? Like, what what evidence is there? Because truth, if it's really truth, can stand up to the hardest questions. And so we're not scared of questions here. If this stuff we're saying is really true, we believe the truth's going to come out, right? Uh, So regardless of where you are, uh, we will meet you where you are. We would like to get to know you. So I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to sing a song. And during that song, uh, I want to invite you to fill that card out. Um, Fill it out. Open a door for God to do something today. Uh, After that first song, we'll sing one more song to close out. We'll pass some baskets. You can drop your card in those baskets. Um, If you're visiting today, we talked about small groups all day. I know we've got a couple of adult groups that are meeting. If you want to check out a small group, Uh, we would love for you to come. Uh, I know my group's going to be meeting. We're going to do lunch together, I think, over at somebody's house. If you just want to check it out, come over. Uh, We will feed you lunch, and, you know, we'd love to get to know you. Uh, And I think there's another group in Collinsville meeting for adults, too. I'm not sure. Are you guys meeting today? You are? Okay. All right. So we got a couple if you want to check one out. Um, But let me pray for us, and then we'll sing that song. God, uh, thank you for bringing us together today. Um, I pray that Uh, If we are not plugged in to a relationship with you, uh, that we will take the steps in order to do that. Uh, God, I pray we remember that there is blessing in knowing and doing. 
if we're just coming here and reading the Bible and not doing what it says, we're wasting our time. We should just stay home. Uh, I pray that we will know and do because that's where the blessing comes in. So Lord, help us to apply your word today. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.